You're listening to Fox on the Wire Podcast. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Fox on the Wire on this Easter special. I've got a very special guest today, Mr. Michael Yule. How you doing, sir? Not too bad at all, Mr. Fox. Well, we are well overdue for this episode, I must say. We are. <laughs> it's It's been a while between chats, drinks, jams, everything. Yeah. Well, you're... You're a busy guy. Uh, not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Hence why I've been able to catch you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in the in the sweet confines of my uh, of my four walls. So how how has life changed for you in the last couple of weeks with this uh, whole COVID nineteen debacle? Uh, it's been a complete upturn. Um, everything everything has changed. Obviously, my my life, my job, my career, so events, music, gigs, um, all of it meant that I was out of the house pretty much every single day of the week um, in a yeah. bar, in a venue, um, running off here, there and everywhere, um, also organising events throughout the days, doing the admin, updating the social medias um, and barely getting a chance to stop and smell the roses and then all in one massive hit, uh, I've got plenty of time to smell the roses and uh, not much else to do. So I've been doing just that and mostly mostly gardening. I've, uh, everything's come to a complete stop on the professional front, um, apart from, well, some, some stuff like what I did last night that I'm sure we can get into, which was my four, first foray into live streaming. Um, but... Other than that, it's just uh, trying to trying to deal with the change of pace that is um, a never-ending free time, and trying to find uh, trying to find new and interesting ways to do something with that. Yeah, well, you're pretty much doing music full time, weren't you? Like um, running events each night, playing your own gigs. Absolutely, yeah, six six nights a week, um, and then if you consider that. I have to do admin and organising in the off times. It, it was basically a seven-day-a-week job. It never really stopped. I was never off my phone. Um, someone was I was always having a message, email, call, um, update, post, or physically be somewhere doing something. Um, so weeks, months would fly by, and I'd barely know, you know, where I was or what I was doing. But I enjoyed doing it of course you know you you enjoy the experience of doing it when you're in it but um yeah time would just absolutely fly in a blur and now it's like every minute of every day is uh substantially longer than it used to be more time to plant more roses and and smell them man i've (laughs) I've got well i live in coburg so i've got an abundance of roses because i think there's been uh generations of old men tending to roses in my uh, garden beds <laughs> over the decades, and I've, I've now inherited the mantle. So now the roses are well underway. I've been more planting, um, planting vegetables, tending to my fruit trees, um, landscaping, um, succulents, of course, like any you know, millennial hipster. They're, uh, they're like children. So I uh, have an abundance of succulents, of course, which I take great pride in, but <laughs> yeah. Well, last time I saw your garden was probably oh, a couple of years ago now, maybe. I don't know if it would be that long. It probably was. As you said, time flies. So, And, um, you know, things were looking pretty good then, so I imagine they're looking pretty good now. Oh, mate, yes. It completely, completely went to, uh, went to proverbial shit um, probably since you saw it because I got so busy. And then... Um, given I had some free time over the Christmas period first and then all of the free time I've got now, I taught myself to landscape, basically, and uh, yes, have completely redone almost everything. So that's been very therapeutic. But um, although at one point a couple of months ago I would have said I can never get enough of this if I could just do this every day, (laughs) then that would be amazing. What do you mean I've got to go to work? What do you mean I've got to go play a gig? Well, um, yeah, I've, I've had enough of gardening. Yeah, well, as you said, you would have kept pretty busy because you were running, you know, jam nights and that sort of thing. So, you know, 
on any any given night, there's at least what five, six, seven, eight acts to organise. Uh, anywhere up to sixteen a night. Yep. Yeah, so that's a lot of messaging and organising just before it even before you even get to the night itself. Oh, so. mate, the, the night is the easy part. Getting there and physically running an event, um, that's that's the bit that I'm best at. That's the bit that you enjoy. You know, you get to be there and there's all these awesome musicians and great music, uh, lovely people, you know, nice venues, drinks, pool, tunes. Um, it's a great time, but everything that goes into making that happen is exhausting. Ask any events organizer and... Um, yeah, we're all we're all perpetually exhausted, um, <laughs> just because it never stops. So one of your recent nights, uh, or one of the recent venues you've been doing a lot of work at, work at is uh, Swamplands in Thornbury, um, which is a great little venue, one of my favourites. Uh, no doubt it's closed now, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, I cycled past it just today actually for the first time in a couple of weeks and uh they boarded up the windows which obviously a, a good idea you know it's not going to be open for a matter of months so just minimize minimize the ability to look in but it, it certainly was sad because i was going there three or more times a week every week and uh it's the first time i've i've ridden past there or or been in the area since and just seeing the whole of high street thornbury and high street northgate um, shuttered um, you've still had intermittent businesses open, bottle shops are still open little grocery stores um, you know, places selling takeaway food but apart from that uh, yeah, it's it's just bare streets, absolute bare streets like, like it is everywhere but it's, uh, you notice it far more when it's something like Sydney Road Brunswick or Brunswick Road uh, Brunswick Street Fitzroy or High Street Northgate so. Well, look, it was only, what, a month ago since I came down to that night, uh, one of your Swamplands nights. It may not have even been a month ago. It would be pretty close to. Um, and it was quite random because you just put out a – did you have a cancellation and you put out a call on Facebook? Yeah. Um, and I actually thought <laughs> – the weird thing is I you'd put out the thing on Facebook the night before, but I saw it the next day. So what I read was actually, oh, this is for tomorrow night, <laughs> but it was actually for that night, yep. if that, that makes, makes sense. sense. So um, it was very random, but that was the last time I got to sort of play some live music uh, and it was right before I think all of this sort of really took effect and shut everything down. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy that it really wasn't that long ago at all. It's in very, very recent memory that huh. we were having good times, playing gigs, and then... The next thing you know, like we, we were talking about it at the time, of course, this whole Corona COVID business. Um, but, uh, and not that, not that my opinion in general on the, the subject has changed much from then till now, but it, it really didn't seem, um, it didn't seem so present. It, we, we knew that it was a thing. We knew that it was there. We knew that it was in the country. Um, but it wasn't going to affect us. And, um, although it may not have physically affected either one of us or most of the people that we know yet, and we, we hope that it never does, um, the, the effect that it's had on every other part of, uh, my life and many of our lives since has been just mind boggling. I mean, I, there's, there's been nothing like it. Uh, in my lifetime, or at least in my in my memory, I hear that we had a massive recession in the '90s, which uh, I don't remember um, because being a kid, you know, you you shouldn't remember those things. As the children of today, hopefully, won't remember the negative aspects of this pandemic. But yeah, in my living memory, there's been nothing that has rocked not just the state or the country, but the world that's brought us to such a a helpless standstill of doing nothing. So, absolutely, yeah. I definitely don't recall anything of such. I know they had the big uh, thing in America in two thousand eight, where the the banks collapsed or something along those lines. You know, the big financial, but it was nothing, nothing like this. Nothing where 
everything basically just gets shut down the way it has. I don't think it's happened. I, I, yeah, you know, definitely not in our lifetime or even our parents' lifetime, I don't think. Um, and I just saw today that, you know, in Victoria, uh, Andrews has um, extended the lockdown to May 11th, I think. Um, and obviously that's probably just a tentative date because he doesn't know what it's going to be like at that stage. So, you know, it's not uh, not over any time soon by the looks of it. No, certainly not. Um, and uh, I, that was, I believe that was always on the cards. Um, the way that they... The way that they play it with things like this is they're never gonna they're never gonna tell us the full extent because everybody would um, freak out, for lack of a better term. If we were just told straight up, it's gonna be six months of um, six months of being inside. You can imagine the reaction that people would have. So instead, it's oh, we'll do a month and then we'll see what happens. And now it's another month and then we'll see what happens at the end of that. And if we're lucky, it, things might back off slightly, um, or they may not. We, we may have yet a third month of that, but I, I imagine after the next month or so, they'll start reintroducing certain things um, as they go along, because by that point, with the rate that we're going, um, I, I check the, the, the case numbers every day, and we'll be down to zero new cases. Um, in fact, we're almost there. We had 56 new cases in the whole country. Um, today which is crazy low and uh, that means in the next few days we might have zero new cases reported yeah lucky at the moment it doesn't seem to be too bad in australia i don't want to trip over my words you know i know we're coming into winter which is kind of scary scott morrison's talking about lasting for six months but i think they're all just ballpark figures at the moment by the sounds of it but yeah it really wasn't long ago since I came down to play at Swamplands with you there and, you know, it was just a bit of a talking point at that stage. Uh, we were aware of it, you know, and I just made sure I brought my own microphone like I always do. And apart from that, I think we were still shaking hands. and Very much so. Uh, that, that whole week was kind of not, not quite business as usual, um, but it didn't quite feel real. People were reacting. People were scared. In fact, I think people were maybe even more scared than what they are now because there was a lot of uncertainty. So um, even though the chances at that point in time of catching or distributing anything was incredibly low, um, we had, you know, something like only a hundred and something cases in, in the state. So the chance that you're going to get it um, going out to Thornbury is was at that time incredibly low, but, but people's amount of fear was so high. Now that we've been living with it for a while and everybody is a little more aware of the reality of the situation, um, I think there's less, there's less fear around it. Um, so, it, yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy week. It was very much, very much limbo because we had people pulling out left, right and centre um, due to either they thought that they were sick and weren't sure if it might be something to do with the virus. Oh, yeah, I remember you telling me that now, actually. Yeah. Um, or uh, it was just they, they were being preemptive and isolating in their own way or getting, getting started on that, seeing where things were going. Um, but for us, what, well, for me, while the venues I was working at were still allowed to be open and operating. I mean, we thought that they'd be operating the week after as well, maybe in a reduced capacity. Um, we didn't really expect that we'd just be hit with a blanket shutdown. Um, and I was actually, I was playing in a pub at a live stream event on Sunday the 30th, maybe, or the, the no, the 22nd, the 22nd of March, I think. Um, God, that was already a while ago. <laughs> um, mm. I, I was, I was playing at an event when I heard it announced and, um, I, I was there with a friend uh, who'd come to watch the show and we kind of went, wow, this is going to be the last day that we can be at a pub, that we can be at a bar, that we can be at a restaurant, um, that we can go to a gig 
in God knows how long. And uh, so we, we wound up, that, that gig finished up in the early evening and we wound up going for dinner and then a few drinks and pretty much carried on right up until the point where everywhere shut. It was, it was a Sunday, so it was about 11 p.m., everywhere shut. And just everybody had that same feel about them. It was like, this is our last hurrah for God knows how long. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty glad, pretty glad to have done that to, to be fair, um, really rocked it out right until the very last minute, um, got in that last drink, you know, tipped the bartender knowing that they'd be out of work for God knows how long. I didn't really or necessarily expect that I'd be out of work as much as I am, but, uh, of course those things go hand in hand. I probably should have known. Um, and here we are. Yeah, I think that was the big change that weekend. That was my birthday weekend, the 19th of March. That's when it um, really kicked in, I think. That's what I remember anyway. Yeah, very much. Um, before that, you know, little little things were happening. We'd had the toilet paper crisis, of course. People, oh, stop, people stockpiling shit. I mean, at least you can get toilet paper again now. That's just, that's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yes, once once that all happened, it became it became super real, and uh, it, it probably took it took over a week to kind of settle in and realize, okay, this is going to be a new form of normal for the foreseeable future. I don't know how long this is going to last, but this is how it's going to be for a while. So, and you know that that's not even not even a month ago. Like it's probably three weeks. You know, it's only the twelfth of April now, so it's three weeks seems such a long time. It's it's a long time when you're not doing anything much. I mean, um, obviously for you, for yourself in certain capacities and other people whose whose jobs um, you know are either considered essential or really you know really are essential and need to continue um, in this time just to keep basic basic things working in the country um i can only imagine it's changed a bit less i mean obviously social life would have died in the ass but um i imagine there's maybe still a sense of routine with with work life pay everything going on Um, in a similar fashion but yeah for a large percentage of the population um it's like in in one week life just stopped and changed and we were all told you can't work you can't make money and you pretty much can't go outside. I've never been on Centrelink in my life and I've still not received a payment from them yet, but I'm certainly signed up and I'm, I'm certainly waiting, waiting on, that, uh, on that sweet, sweet cash. Well, you know, I'm still, like you said, I've still got my job and uh, I'm still going to work every day. Like in a lot of ways, things haven't changed on that end of things we do things a little bit differently there and you know i've got a team of people that i've got to try and look after and hope that the company i work for does its best to look after us but i'm still you know out in the public which is a strange thing but i see a lot of my friends on facebook musicians and the like you know they're basically locked up uh, with lots of time to kill and um you know, doing a lot of creative things like with these live gigs that people are doing on Facebook and such. And, um, yeah, it's like just really strange times. It's like things are the same for me, but they're different. Uh, yeah. So I haven't, haven't quite got a, gra- a grasp yet. It's, it's odd. It is. Be, um, it's going to be strange trying to return um, to the way that things used to be the longer it goes on. Um, I think the the harder it is to see, you know, how how quickly or how we we um, to the way the things were. But then then again, you know, we we say that never having experienced something similar to this before, we've never we've never lived through a war in the in the um, conventional sense, one that directly threatens, you know, our lives and well being, um, nor any tremendous crisis i do think that people's perception coming out of this uh will have changed dramatically it's like once people once the curtain drops and you're shown that you can do something that you didn't think that you can do or you can do something in a way that you never expected 
it's very hard to go back to that again. So I think a lot of people having been forced to work from home, realizing that they can and they can do it efficiently, that they can do it well, um, the prospect of going back to what they were doing before might seem completely uh, irrelevant. It's like, why should I travel um, this much every day? Why should I be paying for transit fees to go in and do a job that it's been proven that I can do from home? Mm. Uh, I mean, I know, I know myself, uh, as, a, as I said before, I only just dived into the live stream thing and that was an interesting experience that we can, we can delve into at some point. Um, I'm also, I've been looking to start a podcast for a long time. You got there well ahead of me, um, which mad kudos <laughs> and here I am, but I've been looking to do a podcast for a long time and that's something that I'll kick off in this, in this downtime and I mean, who knows if I'll want to go back to doing what I was doing before. I mean, it's, it's what I know, it's what I knew, it's certainly what I was good at, but you spend enough time doing something else, you spend enough time getting good at something else, and who's to say that that doesn't become um, maybe not preferable, but, you know, a new adventure or something else that you, you look to seek out. So I think hospitality businesses in general are going to... If, whichever ones can make it through this and come out the other side, they're going to take a big look at themselves and go, Jesus Christ, we can't do that again. Like, we mm. cannot risk that again. Um, so many places have had to change everything to go to takeaway. Some businesses have changed dramatically um, and incorporated markets, little, like, fruit and veg markets in, in what were previously banned venues for people to go into and by produce, um, a lot of places have gotten takeaway liquor licenses and effectively turned their businesses into um, takeaway booze shops. Who's to say that's going to stop? Are they going to... Um, I'm not saying they won't revert back to having in-store business and they won't revert back to having, um, you know, music and live entertainment, but I, I think a lot of people will be shocked by this. You know, they, they were expecting that this is how life was going is the way that it was going to go for the next 10, 20 years. And that business was their little nest egg. That's what they're sitting on. That's what they're relying on to make them not just their income, but an investment into the future. And all of a sudden you're told, you're literally told you cannot run your business. And we are going to like the best that we can do is offer you a loan, like a, a low interest loan or um, a minimal government handout. To get you by but you're not allowed to operate your business anymore and that's that's very confronting it's and it's very demeaning i think a lot of people um have lost a sense of uh self-worth from because you know we all take pride in what we do and when you can't do that and you aren't really sure what you can do um it's it's helpless it's a very helpless feeling mm. um I think for, for people that have investments much more than I do, and by that I mean invested in their business more than their time and effort, but, you know, like their, their livelihood, their entire life into something like that, even more so because you're just sitting it there, you're just watching it sit there, waste away. So, yeah. Yeah, I think people already, people find new ways to do things, Um maybe based around what they were already doing, you know, whether they've just gone to an online format. But, you know, people will get creative in this time and find new ways to do what what they want to do, but some some won't, unfortunately. And, you know, starting your own business is um, whether it's a restaurant or, you know, like, like what you were doing. I mean, you essentially created yourself but doing different things um and you will continue to do some of those things but like you said you may not go back to exactly the same sort of format um but someone like yourself will find other ways and other things to do to to make money and to do what you want to do but um yeah <laughs> i don't think things will go it won't just slot back into place everything you know and, and i'm I'm out in the amongst the public every day and I've noticed small behavioral changes amongst people. Uh whether they will be everlasting, I don't know. You know, even just a simple thing of shaking hands. Obviously we're told not to do that anymore. 
uh, and maybe we won't go back to that, you know, kissing on the cheek and all that sort of thing. And, you know, you go into shops and we've got them in, in my shop where I work, you know, you got pieces of tape on the ground, where to stand, you know, how far to stay apart from people. Um, and they very well maybe behaviours that we just get used to and continue, even without the tape on the ground in six months' time or whatever. Uh, it just may be something that we get used to, keeping uh, personal distance um, more so than we used to. Yeah, I definitely think that some of it is, um, some of it can wind up being beneficial changes. Um, people are, just, just as a tiny example, people are certainly respecting each other's space in a way that uh, that nobody ever did before. Um, I find myself, I found myself doing it um, doing it today I, I overthink I look at somebody else and I think to myself not so much that I don't want that person near me because I, I'm pretty flippant with my own self-care to be honest like I um you know I, I'm not I'm not worried about myself but I look at somebody else and go if I if I try and push through this small space if I try and carry on um if I try to go down that aisle that's got a few extra people in it I'm going to make them uncomfortable or I could potentially make them uncomfortable because, um, although I, I'm not worried, they very well may be. And me putting them in that situation is not fair. I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that. Um, and then similarly, but far less so I have occasionally had people get closer to me than I'm used to lately. Um, so I'm used to bigger gaps between people and all of a sudden there'll be somebody that's just like right up in your face getting past you and you, you think, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> show some respect. What, like, what is this? <laughs> um, which is something I never would have thought of before. You know, I might've thought about it in a different way. Like, what a, what a rude prick, you know, just pushing past <laughs> me. So it's like, do, do you not, do you not value, value like my life? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> not even that I'm directly worried, but the correlation exists. And you're right, it is, if we do it enough times, um, behavior like that will continue. I don't think that we're ever going to, um, we're ever going to continue being as physically distant as we are because we, we can't help it. I mean, the first, the first thing you go to do when you meet someone is, you know, shake a hand or go in for a hug or something like that. And it may take a little while to get back, but people, people want to be close to each other, even though, you know, we, we may say the opposite a lot. Some people say it all the time. And in, in, in certain categories, it can, it can actually be a problem, like people being too close or trying to be too close. But I think after this, we're, um, very starved for any kind of human contact that, uh, that yeah, I think we'll all be pretty pretty happy to get back to it. But it will it will be hard for some people uh, to shake the fear because the fear is not something that I have yet, maybe not ever. But I, I've I've had to become aware that there are some people out there that are genuinely scared for their lives about this, and that was that was hard to come to terms with because. Because it doesn't affect me so much, you, you just kind of go, look, it's not something to worry about. It's a tiny percent of the population that even have anything to worry about. But then again, you know, you're going to know a tiny percent of the population that have something to worry about. And, uh, and yes, some people are genuinely, genuinely scared. And uh, you've, you've got to be considerate of that fact. So, yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's just teaching us all to be a little more considerate of one another. And maybe appreciate one another a bit more as well, because um, you know some people surely can get on your nerves. Maybe your maybe your workmates, maybe your maybe your friends, your partners, your uh, your family, um, your neighbours. But when you're so set apart from everybody, you know it's it's been nice to just have a chat with my neighbour over the fence every now and again. It's been, it's been nice to run into somebody when I'm down at Bunnings picking up some soil and there's like someone I know from, you know, the, the scene. It's like, oh, hey, it's you. Yeah, it's you. And we're yelling at each other from like half a store away because not, <laughs> we're not trying to get any closer to each other. It's like, 
you're a person and I vaguely know you. That's incredible. <laughs> you know, because uh, my cat's great and everything, but he's, he's also deaf. I couldn't have a conversation with him even if I tried. So. Well, to be honest, he's probably sick of you being home so often, let's be honest. He, he is. He is. Guarantee it's it. It's not, not a joke. He was so happy for a little while, but his, um, what do you call it, body language, his, his behavioral changes <laughs> have very much been, look, man, you're cramping my style. I'm used, to, yeah. I'm used to some me time and you're all up in my business. What is this? Like, don't you have places to be? Yeah, look, a couple of days was nice, dude, but, you know, just get back to whatever it is you were doing and just give me some time. To myself, please. Fine, I've got important cat shit to get done. Like, <laughs> those pigeons aren't going to watch themselves. That's right. So, <laughs> you know, you were so you were such a busy person because you're a singer, you're a songwriter, you're a guitarist, loop artist, studio engineer, a producer, gig booker, uh, a live sound tech. You know, you name it. That you you could do it all. You know, that's what kept you so busy, and you. Probably did a bit of everything on a, any given day. Yeah. Um, I don't don't know how much studio work you're doing at the moment, you know, recording and stuff. Well, not at the moment, but, you know, before all this kicked in, obviously. Um, you know, what, what were you working on before all this took effect? What was I working on? Um, cool. It's um, – I got a bit lost in it all, to be honest, because I, because I was so busy and I'm sure any number of people can – relate to this in any any field um when you're when you're so on the go and you just you can't sit back and think about what you're doing you just have to do it so i can't say i was really working towards much um i was i was working and developing and the events were going well the brand impact events um you know that i've been that i've been managing for the last few years that was uh going from strength to strength was doing a lot of great gigs, but I wasn't really writing much new music. I certainly wasn't recording anything, not for myself. And apart from some vague plans that I had, uh, <laughs> interestingly, I was going to go. I was supposed to be going to Japan in May and had tickets for that. And then I was considering taking off to Europe for six months at uh, the latter end of 2020, which, uh, you know. Both things, not uh, not good ideas, not on mm. the cards. Uh, I I was considering just just taking off for a while and busking my way through Europe to really bring it back to just being a performer and to really see what I could do, um, how far it could take me, and almost if it really if it was really what I wanted to do. Like, of course, I'm always going to do music and. It's something that's been with me for a long time, but is it is it something that I that I want to focus on as a, a life-ending goal still? Because right up until recently, it it has been. It's been my it's been my job. It's been my income. It's been my obsession. It's it's been the thing that defines me as a person. Yeah, I I, I thought it would be nice to strip everything else away and just focus on that and see how comfortable I was with it. And I might have come out the other side of that going, you know what, when I'm just left exclusively with just myself and a guitar and there's nothing else, that's not enough for me. Or I might have come out the other side and gone, you know what, this is what I've been missing all along. Really, this is where I, what I should be doing and where I should have been. And I never have to come home because I could just carry this on for the rest of the rest of my life. For the next 10, 20 years, I could just spend floating from country to country you know, busking, gigging, meeting people, um, and having amazing experiences. That's, that's kind of what I had envisioned for myself, but that, that was a screeching halt. I knew I needed a change from what I was doing because I was getting very burnt out. I especially realized that when we had the Christmas break of just a couple of weeks where I was pretty much gardening and sitting around, not doing much similar to this, but it was, it was a welcome change. You know, I wasn't, no one was forcing me to do it. I could still go out and see and do other things and hang out with mates and um, had a great New Year's party at my house, all, all sorts of things like that. But uh, I realized after going back to work and going from barely anything to six, seven days a week again, I went, you can't keep this up. 
this has to mm. something's got to give and it's got to give pretty soon and it has now it has and i'm kind of in that although i'm not on the other side of the world you know in a backpackers somewhere chilling with um amazingly accented individuals with some sweet beer on the mediterranean or something um i i am forced to confront what am i doing what do i want to do where do i want to go now and after this who am i because there's no distractions you're just kind of left with yourself and a lot of questions and uh not that many answers well you've got an incredible ear and like brilliant attention to detail which really allows you to do all of those things i mentioned you know songwriting studio engineering gig booking and you know doing live sound that allows you to do all those to a you know really high level which you do you you know you've got quite a few things you can choose from there you know whether you do do your overseas tour for for 6 months and then you have enough of the live playing, so you might want to lock yourself down in the studio uh, and start recording your second album, which is well overdue, by the way. <laughs> it's, uh, yes, uh, yeah, people keep telling me that and have been for a long, 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 long time. So, you know, your road is quite open to where whichever way you want to take it. Um, it is, or at least it, it potentially was, and that is true. I've changed things up a lot over the years. Um, I've... I've gone from being fully invested into one facet of the music industry to fully invested in another facet and then um, anywhere in between. And that's, that's probably what's, what's kept me um, able to sustain myself in the music industry for so long just because I, I diversified between so many different things and it never quite got stale because I could throw more attention at one particular thing if I wanted to, but... Of course, at this point in time, I can't. Um, I can't even do. I can't even do the studio for Christ's sake. I mean, I thought of. I thought of that. You've been to my house. I've got a great jam room that doesn't get used that much, and I was going to move all of my studio gear from the facility that I've been sharing for years with Johnson Peters into the house, so that it was just you know a couple of steps away. I thought that'd be that'd be fantastic. It'd been on the cards again for for a while. It's something I've been thinking about for for a fair while. Um, but even even then, if we've got another six months of this, even if I do move everything in there, um, I can't I can't really have anybody over to record. And that's although you could you could say, well, you know, people could record on their end and send it to me for editing or mixing or mastering. It's you're never going to get the same result with if if someone's hiring you to do a job as a recording engineer and you're not there to record them um really you're missing so many crucial steps um all you all you can do is the editing and the mixing and well the mastering too and that's that's about it i know places like where you had your cd mastered crystal mastering they're still operating as, as they should do, they're doing only online submissions at the moment, so they won't allow anybody to come to the premises, which is fair enough. But mastering is definitely still a sustainable field to be in because you're relying on other people to already give you a semi-finished product that you're then bringing up to release quality. So that's, that's really good for them and any other mastering engineers. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's a hell of a client base to build up and a lot of competition to go against, so... There's just, there's a lot of unanswered questions and I'm trying not to give myself too much pressure to go, you need to figure this out now or you need to know what you're doing now or even you need to do anything today. It's just take it day to day and see what happens. I had the, the most interesting random day today that I never could have expected um, that came out of nowhere and, um, you know, that was a bunch of fun. Who knows what tomorrow will bring? Anyway. Well, it's potentially still early days in this lockdown, isn't it? Like we said, it's only kind of three weeks in sort of thing. So if this is like a six-month thing, you know, um, that's still a bit of time to figure out maybe exactly what you want to do. It certainly is. Yeah, it's a lot of, lot of time to think and analyse. So we'll... Um yeah, we'll see what we'll see what tickles my fancy over the next few months. But the the live streaming was interesting. I was pretty skeptical about 
about live streaming in general um, right up until I did it. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if it was something that I wanted to commit to or if I really wanted to do performances or gigs from home. But uh, it, was, it was actually turned out to be a very rewarding experience um, doing the first one last night. That's good. Yeah, there's been a few people doing it. So with the, with the virtual tip jar, yeah, how had your internet connection go with the live stream last night? Because we're not having much luck with uh, Skype tonight. <laughs> not great luck, but it's still going. So at least thankfully there's that. Are we back connected now, do you think? Yeah, it hasn't really dropped off on my end. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was it was glitching uh, video-wise for me with you. Um, Your first album, uh, Holographic Lover, which you did yourself painstakingly, I remember you telling me about. Um, what year what, what year did you do that? Was that 2006? That was actually, it was 2010. Oh, 10. Yeah, right. 2010, which um, just keeps getting longer and longer ago. So is there a 10-year anniversary re-release, <laughs> remaster release? Um, definitely not a, probably not a remaster because, I mean, the mastering, <laughs> the mastering was amazing. Um, I got it done by Crystal Mastering, um, the guys that I recommended to you for your album when we, when we did that. Yep. Uh, and they were, they were fantastic. So, no, very happy with it on that end. It's not something I considered really but yeah it is it is coming up it is the 10 year anniversary i could do something with it i suppose um i have been trying to rework some of the songs into acoustic versions that fit with not not that i couldn't play them acoustically before but it's taking songs from quite a while ago when you were doing something completely different and making them fit with who you are as a performer in the present day so in the same way that you can choose a cover song, like you, you could theoretically play any song that is out there, as long as it's not too technically difficult for you. But are you going to play a particular song? You know, you choose songs based on how they, how you feel about them and how they suit you as a performer. And I think with original material, it's the same thing. I mean, you look at any successful, um, successful uh, long-living um, band... And they certainly don't play their entire catalogue because a lot of the songs um, get tired or they enjoy them at the time, but they, they look back on them and go, that's not something that represents who I am today. Um, or the songs need significant reworking. So I almost need to find a way to cover my own songs in a way that represents who I am as a performer today. So maybe it is something I'll think of because I do still have... Um, I did a massive print of albums when they first came out, huge print, because they're, one second, they're a CD, DVD pack with, um, you know, a booklet, a CD, an album in this, in this fancy covering, and um, I did a huge print, they've, they've sold really well over the years, but... I still have some boxes of them, and it would be it would be nice to see them go into people's hands rather than sitting in my cupboard. So maybe I could um, I could work on something for towards the end of this quarantine period, which is roughly the ten year anniversary. I think it was around September October that I released it. I'll have to look into that um, where I could cover all of my own material from the album and. Um, do a bit of a do a bit of a drive to see if um, yeah if people would like to take the album home with them that would be really nice. Maybe you could do like a live stream acoustic set back to front of the album as some sort of celebratory ten year release sort of thing because uh, you know over the last few years you've got pretty good at reworking songs covers as well as your own so maybe you could go back and sort. Of do what you mentioned and rework some of um, the songs off the album into an acoustic format and play the whole album through as a special 10-year celebratory live stream. Definitely something that uh, that I'm going to look into after tonight, so thanks for the idea because I, I, <laughs> well, I may well do that. Um, it, would be, it would have been nice to do it with some other people. I've met some incredibly talented musicians that I've had the pleasure of playing with over the last year or so. 
but uh, unless those restrictions are relaxed, which, you know, they may be, it's very likely that we'll be able to have people over at our houses um, again before pubs open up. You know, pubs and gyms and that will be the last things to reopen. Yeah, plus, you know, depending how long this goes on for, they might have to rehire staff and all that sort of thing to get back up and running. But yeah. Anyway, let's we won't go down that road again. It's such a such a big conversation, but it is. Uh, now um, we first met, I believe, was it at St. Andrew's Hotel on one of the jam nights, maybe 2011, 2010? It would have been, yeah, 20, um, either 2011, 2012. Yeah, could have been 2012, actually, because we started recording my first EP as Acoustic Fox in 2012, yep. I believe. So it must have been... Yeah, 2011, 2012. It was definitely around then. Um, I, I actually made mention of those early St. Andrews days last night when I was streaming, um, whether I mentioned St. Andrews directly. I was playing a song that I learnt because Jess used to do it. And I yeah, yeah. saw Jess do it and thought, that's a great song. I want to learn that. And, you know, basically, I want to take your song and do that one so i did and i played that as part of the the stream last night so yes very very fresh and lovely memories uh so what was this song that you uh had to learn yourself or wanted to learn the song was called sing and it's by the dresden dolls um with amanda palmer and i happened to play it uh, a few weeks ago before the whole lockdown <coughs> business the first line of it in particular struck me as incredibly relevant, um, which is, there is this thing that's like touching, except we don't touch. So that was, that was, quite, that was quite satisfying to, to sing, given the relevance. In fact, I tried to pick a few songs last night that were relevant to the topic at hand, things like um, Miss You Love by Silverchair, which always gets me. Obviously, I'm a huge Silverchair fanboy. And um, your cover of Cemetery made me go back and look into that one again, which I, I did last night. And as I mentioned in the, in the stream, which you can find on my Facebook, um, the video clip in particular, where it's an apartment building, um, like with the face cut off it, so you can see into all of the apartments and everybody's isolated and doing their own weird things, um, but you know, no one's really connected. And it's, it's again, just visually striking and very relevant to what we're all currently going through. Wow, you're right, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of freaky, actually. Oh, freak, freak showy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, satisfying symbolism, that's for sure. I actually ordered the, um... I think it's an orange vinyl version of Freak Show um, the other day because I got a $50 JB Hi-Fi voucher for my birthday a few weeks ago. And, of course, I haven't been to the store, so I jumped online and um, saw this, I think it was orange version of Freak Show, and I'm like, yep, I'll have that. Nice. So just to add to the collection. So I think I might be ahead of you in that aspect. I've got the entire back catalogue of Silverchair Um in their like extended play audio file grade BS um, stuff. The Neon Ballroom is two discs and they're see-through uh, coloured vinyl as well. Um, really, really nice. Really nice. So we obviously both grew up on Silverchair and um, still big fans and, you know, we always talked about it. So I think you've said your favourite album is Neon Ballroom. I've said Diorama. For me, each album was a ascent to the next, except for maybe their last album, Young Modern. It was a great album, but, you know, to go past Diorama, it, I mean, how do you top an album like Diorama? So, I don't think you can in... Um, <laughs> I, I don't think it's something that will be done again anytime soon. The budget alone is pretty much not there. 
um, the amount of time they spent on that album, the amount of musicians they got involved. Um, they almost didn't get that album put out because they'd had to renegotiate a new record contract with a different label than their first three albums. And um, I think you might have seen the behind the scenes as well for Diorama and the record execs are sitting in on it. Basically like, yeah, 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 this is, this is, this is great and all, but where's, where's the hit? Where are the hits? Mm. What's the, you know, what are we selling here? And really when you listen to Diorama, there's, there's not much in terms of, in terms of hits. There really, there really isn't, but it's not the point. You've got to take the album as a whole. But the fact that they were still 21, 22 when they (laughs) recorded that album. It's crazy. What the hell? And you think um, they still didn't know what they, what the fuck they were doing. Most bands, most of the, some of the most famous bands in history didn't even get started like the, until the members were older than that. Um, yep. Let alone them putting out their penultimate album um, at age 21, 22. It's insane. It is absolutely insane. Yeah, I just think, you know, being so young and you've brought out an album like Diorama, let alone Neon Ballroom, by the way, that's a brilliant album. Um, it's like, what? where do you go from there as a as a musician and a person? And I don't know if I should say I feel sorry for Daniel John sometimes, but to hit peaks like that at such an early age, like they were genuinely brilliant songs. They weren't just famous because of Frog Stomp and Freak Show and they actually wrote amazing songs and where, where do you what do you do after that <laughs> well, I think I think that was part of the part of the problem for the band from the get-go is uh, they did so much even with their first album I mean they toured the world they mm-hmm. they toured the world with some of the biggest names in music at that time they played all of the biggest TV shows they they hit milestones that some bands never hit or that, that some acts don't don't hit for decades and they did it when they were 15, 16 years old. And a lot of bands tried to do that yeah. after them, you know, that, that just couldn't. So I think that that was all, would for anybody, it would always be something hanging over your head. It's like you, you're 15, 16 years old and it's like, well, I've already toured the world and played to thousands and thousands and thousands of people and seen and done things that most people never do in their lifetime what do we do now and that's that's after their first album so i mean (laughs) maybe that's maybe that's one of the things that enabled them to hit the heights that they did it's that it's you always need to go bigger and better so up from frog stomp to freak show from freak show neon ballroom and always just do something different because you go well we've already done so much that what the fuck else do we need to do? Let's just do what, do what we want to do. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Daniel's songwriter songwriting was constantly evolving with each album, but um, and you could sort of um, hear where he's gone from one album to the next. But after Diorama, that just felt like a real peak because um, it was such a massive uh, album. So many musicians, like you said, you know, mass- probably a massive budget. And it was just such a grand album that even topped, for me, Neon Ballroom. And it's just like, where can you possibly go from there, you know? Yeah. And they went to Young Modern, which I think for them was, uh, I think was very satisfying for the band. I remember seeing a lot of stuff at the time that it was, it, it was the most fun that they'd had in a long time because they were pretty much without restriction. I think they released it uh, themselves. They released it not through a label because mm. of the so many issues that they had with Diorama that um, I think they came back, did a couple of, of gigs to raise funds for the album. They did, Before, like, crowdfunding was the huge, you know, craze that it is today where everyone jumps online and says, hey, pay for our album. They just went out, did some big corporate gigs that they may not have taken otherwise and then went, let's put out an album that we want to do on our terms and no one can no one can tell us what to do. And, uh, you know, for better or worse, it it was huge at the time. I mean, you remember it was all over the radio. It's just that, um, it's just for people, people's nostalgia didn't hit any of the the nostalgia buttons. Um, and, um, 
a lot of the new people that probably enjoyed it at the time. It's like music has just become more and more fleeting, um, a, like a, a fleeting love with a song or an album, you know, something new each day or each week that um, it may not have caught the longevity for those people. So although plenty of people enjoyed it at the time, it, it didn't carry through with a new fan base and the, a lot of the older fan base... Um, because it didn't hit the nostalgia buttons, they went, ah, it's not, it's not for me. But there's, there's some amazing stuff on that album. I mean, some of the songs are just, like, really, <laughs> they really throw you for, for a six, because some of the complexity of the songwriting on that album goes well above anything that, that came out before. It's just the, the arrangements, um, stuff's not hidden behind the same um, level of arrangement and production as the album before. There's some great production on the last album, I'd say even some better production, but um, yeah, the, the the songs are um, the songs are pretty are pretty crazy. If you analyse them them closely and strip away everything else, um, I'd almost rather listen to someone sitting around at a piano with an acoustic guitar playing the tunes off Young Modern than I would Diorama because mm. I think they hold up better um, without all of the frills. True. Yeah. Maybe not straight lines though. Uh, yeah, well, that was a massive song for them, though. That was a huge humongous. Song. It was humongous, but um, it's it's just one of those that you know. I think we all heard a few too many times. Yeah, well, maybe the one reason why that album didn't hit was because there was so much time in between Diorama and Young Modern, which I think from memory is about eight years. Was it two thousand ten? Young Modern came out. Uh, no, you'll be shocked. You'll be you'll be shocked. Young Modern was 2006. Six, was it? And Diorama was 2001. Two, one or two, yeah. 2001, because uh, Neil Borum mm. was 99. I, yeah. I fell in love with Silverchair in 2002, and Diorama was already out by then. And I wasn't a fan right. at the time, but I became a fan of Diorama after the fact. 2006, I went to... I went to um, a couple of their shows, I made their DVD of the the tour that they did around Young Modern um, in the crowd, um, being lifted onto the shoulders of my mate in their crane cam that swings around. Kept focusing on oh, because oh, wow. we were the tallest thing. So during Freak, um, yeah, we're, we're there up above because it was the Melbourne show that made the DVD. So, oh. yeah, pretty stoked. I think my first Silverchair show was the Neon Ballroom tour. Um, my friend Jared and I, I think we went to two shows um, and that was just, that was amazing for us to see at that stage because we were, you know, we'd started playing guitar and um, writing songs um, before that and Silverchair was definitely, you know, top of the charts for us in terms of inspiration and what we loved to listen to at that time. So to actually go and see it live was just amazing and, uh, yeah, I'll never forget it. So... Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to see... I missed the Neon Ballroom tour, of course. Just um, age, really, I guess. I would have been a, a pre-teen at that point, um, like 12 years old, and I just wasn't into it. But I did catch, at 15 years old, I caught their Across the Universe tour at um, Vodafone... What was Vodafone Arena at the time? And I distinctly oh. remember paying only 50 bucks... 50 bucks to see, I think, the, the Sleepy Jacksons opened for them. And then... Oh, I remember that. Yeah. And then Silverchair at Vodafone Arena. And that, um, every gig that I've gone to since, because that was my first um, stadium gig that, like, I wanted to go to. Every gig that I've gone to since, I've compared the price to that Silverchair show and gone, dude, I saw Silverchair for 50 bucks at Vodafone Arena. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not paying 200 bucks to go see, you know, whoever it is at whatever place. Like, you're laughing. What an amazing band and very lucky I caught most of their career, you know. And at the time when I was starting to do my own thing too. So just hugely gratifying. Definitely, definitely. They're, they're the whole reason I got into music in the first place. Um, that, one yep, yep. Ba- that one band uh, is the entire reason. And uh, you can't put a price on that. No, I can't speak highly enough, actually. So, you know, maybe uh, maybe one day we can really 
like we can do another podcast and really delve into at least one or two of the albums and dissect it and do a whole episode based on that. I think that'd be cool. Oh, easy. Absolutely easy. Let's do it. Not not now because Skype is so bad right now. So <laughs> we'll do it when we uh, when we get the green light and we can actually see each other again. When we can be in the same room maybe. Yeah, let's do it. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. That's the end of part one of my chat with Michael Yule. We did have a lot of technical issues via Skype with that episode, but uh, thanks for being patient. Uh, part two of this same chat with Michael Yule is coming very soon. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah.